Well, good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, my name is Andrew Martin, and I have the privilege of serving as the director for our youth ministry here at Christ the King. And if you are visiting with us this morning, we're so glad that you are here to join us on our journey through the Psalms. And if this is a new journey for you, or perhaps you've been reading the Psalms for years and years, wherever you are, sometimes the Psalms can seem like a great maze. They can seem like a maze of random and perhaps even at times bizarre poems. And so to help us get our bearings, there's a question that we can ask, and that is, what are the Psalms? Why did God have these placed in his holy scriptures? And one theologian describes the Psalms as the hymn book of the people of God to shape their hearts in the proper direction. In other words, God gives us these Psalms to shape our hearts, to love the things that he loves, to lament over the things that he laments, and to lift up praise to him in a way that is worthy of the Lord who is worthy of praise. And in Psalm 93 through 100, we find a group of Psalms that proclaim that God is the king of all creation. And in our particular text this morning, Psalm 97, Psalm 97 is in that group of Psalms as a hymn of praise. It's a hymn of praise to the Lord who reigns. And it's there to shape our hearts to rejoice that our Lord reigns as the king. So follow along with me as we read how the Lord reigns and his people rejoice. Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boasts in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O oh, you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that you reign in power, that you reign in righteousness that you are the Lord of all the earth. And we ask, Lord, this morning that you would help us, help us to rejoice that you are the Lord who reigns. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, who makes this all possible. Amen. Well, it's easy for us to see how the psalmist delights that the Lord reigns. Throughout this entire psalm, we see him speak of the Lord's reign, of the throne of the Lord, that he's Lord of all the earth, that he's most high. And he wants to share that delight. He invites us to rejoice that the Lord reigns. We see this at the beginning, at the very middle, and at the end of the psalm. You cannot get away from it. It's all over the text. And yet many of us can, can approach Psalm 97 and hear it, and yet come up with many reasons not to rejoice that the, 
the Lord is the king who reigns. For Israel, the original audiences, audience of this psalm, it's very likely that this was written just after they had returned from exile. They had been defeated as a nation, been taken as slaves far from their homes into another land. And while we can see as Christians that the Lord's hand was guiding it all, if you weren't paying attention, it would be easy to feel like the Lord was not the one who was reigning. Because even when they returned home, they did not return home as these military victors. They returned home because the emperor said that they could return home. And so it would be easy for them to read a psalm like this and say, yeah, someone reigns over this world, but it doesn't seem like it's the Lord. And even today, many of us find it hard to rejoice. We face challenges that make it hard to rejoice that the Lord reigns. And some of those challenges make it hard to believe that he's even really there at all. And for others, we find it difficult to rejoice because we find the very idea that anyone else would reign over our lives as utterly repulsive. We want to reign as the Lord in our lives. And yet, as we saw in the reflection this morning, one of our brothers in the faith from history past, John Calvin, reminds us that true rejoicing is only realized under the reign of God. And so Psalm 97 shapes our hearts to embrace and to love the truth that because the Lord reigns, his people can rejoice. So what is it about the Lord's reign that gives us cause to rejoice? Well, the first thing we see is that the Lord's reign leads to rejoicing in the Lord's power. Look with me in verse 2. It says that he reigns with great power. We see that clouds and thick darkness are all around him. And this gives us an echo of the Exodus. When God first rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt, he led them through the desert and he brought them to Mount Sinai. And he appeared before them in a cloud. And listen to this description of that incredible meeting in Exodus 19. There were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the Lord answered him in thunder. And how did the people respond? It says the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. One commentator says that clouds and thick darkness convey the mystery of God's unapproachable majesty. And this majesty is incredible. It's awe-inspiring. One cannot help but tremble in the powerful presence of our king who reigns. But this isn't just smoke and mirrors. We've all seen, or many of us have seen, The Wizard of Oz, where the great and powerful Oz seems like a great terror until a little dog goes and pulls the curtain back and we realize that it's all just a ruse. But that's not what our God is like here. You see, the psalmist goes on to show us that there is substance to the Lord's power. In verse 3, he says, Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. The psalmist is using poetry here to describe what is the Lord's power like. And what does it mean? It means that the Lord is the undefeated champion. There is no person 
There's no power. There is no part of creation that can stand against the Lord who reigns. None. And so some of us might hear this description and think, wow, this Lord who reigns sounds terrifying. I don't feel like rejoicing. I feel like running away from him. So I'll see you later. But the psalmist assures us, and he turns us back. He turns us back to rejoicing by describing to us the character of this king who reigns. We rejoice because he reigns with great power that he uses for great good. And how do we know this? Verse 2 tells us at the very second part of it, it says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. To speak of the Lord's throne is to, to, to depict the truth that the Lord reigns as king. And when you speak of the foundation of that throne, he's talking about how the Lord reigns. What is it like for God to reign as the king of creation? And so we see that this throne is built on a foundation of righteousness and justice. The Lord reigns, and so we rejoice that his great power is used to establish great good. About 10 years ago, a terrible earthquake devastated the island nation of Haiti. And a few short days later, if you were to stand on the beaches of Haiti and look out to the sea's horizon, you would see arrayed there a powerful military force. Ships from the United States, from Canada, from Spain, and from other parts of the world had all gathered there. And they carried with them powerful equipment and hundreds of Marines from the finest fighting force in the world. Nothing on that island could have stood against them and what they had come to accomplish. And how did the people respond to this? Well, standing on that beach, there was a sailor. He had a pistol strapped to his side, a powerful military force all about. And two small children, a precious little boy and a precious little girl, they walked slowly up to him, stood on either side, and they quietly placed a little hand in each of his own. And as they walked together across the island, the people could rejoice because that powerful equipment that these ships bore was carrying food and water and other materials for their relief. And the Marines who had come armed to the teeth were there to stand guard to protect the helpless and the vulnerable against the wicked and the violent who would seek to exploit this disaster. These military men and women had brought great power to do great good. And for their foes, they were a terror. But for their friends, they were a cause for rejoicing. Our king reigns with great power for great good. And like those children and the people of Haiti, if you are a friend of God, if you are his child through faith in Jesus Christ, you need not run. But from the depths of your heart, you can smile and laugh and rejoice because the Lord reigns with great power that he yields for great good. We also see that the Lord's reign leads to rejoicing in the Lord's prestige. You see, it's very clear that God, he's not one of many kings. He is the only king, the uncontested Lord of the earth. And Psalm and uh, verse 9, there, there leaves no doubt in our mind. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Now we may pause and think, well, is the psalmist espousing some sort of a a pantheistic theology here. 
Is he saying, well, there's, are there many gods? And the Lord is sort of the top God? But when we look at Scripture, we see that this is not the case. In Isaiah 44 and 1 Corinthians 8 and other places, it makes very clear that there is no other God but the Lord who reigns. And so what the psalmist is saying here and using this language, he's saying that these false gods are phony and that the Lord reigns as the real deal. And although people fight against this truth and fall before false gods in many different forms, in verse 7 we see all worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast and worthless idols. In other words, there is a day coming when false religion will be finally overturned. And in verse 6 it says, the heavens, will proclaim, the heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Everyone will see and acknowledge that the Lord reigns as the king of the earth. And for God's people, this is a cause for great rejoicing as we see false gods fall and as we see the Lord's prestige proclaimed. And we rejoice for many reasons. We rejoice because we love the Lord. We rejoice because he's worthy of praise. And we also rejoice because a key purpose of the people of God is fulfilled. You see, in Exodus 19, we talked about when they first met God in Mount Sinai in that powerful encounter of cloud and thunder and trumpets and fire. And when God met them there, he said, here's one of the reasons I've brought you out of is out of Egypt, out of slavery. You are going to be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You're going to show forth to all the earth my goodness and my glory. And for the people of God today, that is still the absolute case. You see, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples and his friends, in his letter wrote, writes this. He uses the language of priesthood. He says, you are a kingdom of priests, and here's why. So you can proclaim the excellencies of God. We rejoice because we love to proclaim the Lord's prestige, and he will be praised. And we know what it's like to rejoice in prestige. All the kids out there, how many of you like Chick-fil-A? It's all right, you can raise your hand. Yeah, I see you. I love it. I go to Cow Day every year. Chick-fil-A is awesome. Well, when I was in the fifth grade, it was 1995, and I went down to Atlanta, Georgia, and I was, gonna, I was going down there to watch the Virginia Cavaliers, everyone in Roanoke's favorite team, uh, <laughs> go and play the Georgia Bulldogs in the Peach Bowl. And when I got down there, uh, Chick-fil-A was the sponsor for this bowl. And do you know what was in every seat in that stadium? There were thousands of seats in the stadium. You know what was in those seats, kids? Every seat had a Chick-fil-A beanie baby cow. It was awesome. I kept mine for years. I don't know where it is. But many people didn't have it. And the reason is this. There were thousands of these little beanie baby cows all over the stadium. And every time one of the teams would score, the fans would stand up, who were all seated together, and they'd pick up their little cow, and they would just throw it into the air as hard as they could. And with thousands of these cows getting launched simultaneously, standing across the stadium, it looked like this amazing beanie baby cow snowfall. It was incredible to see it. And they were doing it because they were rejoicing in the prestige of their team as they scored. They were rejoicing that their team was awesome. And we all know what it's like to rejoice like this. You might not be a football fan, but maybe you rejoice when you've got a Snapchat streak that's gone for months without being broken. Or you've got the most incredible winning streak of Fortnite. 
For others, it might be when your favorite celebrity, an actor or a singer, wins the, the Grammy or the Oscar, and you rejoice that their prestige is recognized, that people know that your guy is the best. Or it could be a child who's admitted to a prestigious university. It could be a prestigious promotion at work. We know how to rejoice in prestige. And oftentimes, we rejoice rightly so. These are good things to, cel to celebrate. And so Psalm 97 is shaping our hearts to one of the most foundational reasons for rejoicing. The, the highest reason, and that is that the Lord reigns as the king of the world. And we need this, right? We know we need this because... It's easy to rejoice in the prestige of, of celebrities and social status. But sometimes we can't help but suppress a yawn when presented with, this, with the truth that the Lord reigns as the king of the universe. And some of us, we, we suppress this yawn and at the same time we feel deep shame. Maybe you have a thought like this, I know I'm supposed to rejoice in the Lord's prestige, but I can't help but feel really bored. And so if, if, that's, if that's the shame that you're feeling, I want you to hear very clearly the gospel this morning. The Lord loves you. The Lord who reigns loves you. He sees your boredom. He sees the struggle. And he loves you. And out of that love, if you rest in Christ as your Savior, he gives you his Holy Spirit and he gives you Psalm 97 to transform your heart into a person who knows and rejoices in the truth that the Lord reigns as the king of the universe. He loves you. And out of that love, we see that the Lord's reign also leads to rejoicing in the Lord's preservation of his people. And this is good news because the psalmist reminds us that we need this preservation. And why? Look with me in verse 10. It says, O oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. In the midst of this call to rejoice, we're also called to hate evil. And what does this mean? It means that we live our lives in loyalty to the Lord who reigns. Basically, it means that we live our lives so that we love the things that he loves and that we walk in obedience to his commands that we see throughout Scripture. And this would be simple enough it would be simple enough to live lives of loyalty to the Lord who reigns in a time of peace. But we know that there is a war raging in our world. It started in Genesis 3 with the fall of mankind. And it is going to continue to rage until Jesus returns to consummate his victory. And in this conflict, there are costs to living loyally to God. For Israel, the cost to live loyalty loyally to the Lord who reigns, was high. If you look in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, an account of when they had first returned to exile and when they may have first sung this psalm, you will see over and over again the many challenges they would press on their commitment, on their loyalty to the Lord who reigns. And so because of this great cost, 10, verse 10 gives us a reason for the loyalty. Why would you stand strong in the midst of this? We see it. He says, he preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Now, at this point, some of you might feel like saying, you know what, Andrew? You see, this, this right here, 
This is why I wrestle with the Bible. This is one of the reasons I wrestle. Because the Bible seems to make these promises, and then it seems to turn right around and break them. If, if it talks about preserving the lives of his people, then why have books been written about countless Christian martyrs throughout the history of the church and that continue on to today? If he delivers from the wicked, then why is the church's credibility assaulted in, our academic, in some of the halls of our academic institutes? Why are the very lives of our brothers and sisters around the world threatened if this is the, the promise that the Bible is making? And those are good questions. Those are valid questions. And Scripture, scripture is no stranger to these questions. And when we look through it, we see that these sorrows... These, these sorrows grieve the Lord. And yet in his grief, he is not powerless to act. You see, the Lord reigns with great power to preserve his people. Sometimes we see that preservation very clearly. Growing up as a kid overseas, I remember quite a few times it was very clear that our lives had been preserved. And we see this in Scripture. There are times in the book of Daniel where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were literally thrown into fire, and the Lord preserved their lives in that moment and brought them out unharmed. Daniel was fed to the lions, and the next morning was brought out without a scratch on him. Sometimes we see this very clearly, and we know that the Lord is powerful to deliver on this promise. Other times it's not as clear. And so in that moment, we cling to this promise. Our brothers and sisters living in what's modern-day Macedonia northern Greece, were going through persecutions. And Paul wrote them this letter to tell them that even though they're going through persecutions, even though it seems like their lives are anything but being preserved, it seems like their very lives are forfeit, he tells them this, that God will grant relief to you who are afflicted when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven and with his mighty angels. In other words, what he's saying is death and wickedness do not have the final word. And this promise that he makes is rooted in the very words of our Lord Jesus, who in John 16, he says, In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so when by faith in Jesus you've been adopted as a child, as the Lord who reigns, this becomes the ultimate promise of preservation and deliverance that we as Christians can sing of in this psalm. And so then when we read in verse 11 that light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart, we're reminded that we can live lives of loyal obedience to the Lord who reigns, no matter the cost, walking by faith in the guiding light of our Father, rejoicing in the promise that he preserves his people. And it's Jesus who makes this rejoicing possible for the people of God. It's why as Christians we rejoice in King Jesus. We rejoice because in Hebrews 2 it tells us that all things are subject to Jesus. He reigns over everything as the Lord. Nothing is outside of his control. And that he uses his power to destroy death itself. Jesus reigns and he yields his great power for great good. We rejoice because Jesus enjoys the great prestige as the king of all creation. Listen in Philippians 2 it tells us, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we rejoice 
because Jesus preserves his people. Here again, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. So by faith in him, Jesus makes this all possible. We become children of the Lord who reigns, the great benefactors of his great power for great good. We're shaped and transformed into people who rejoice that he reigns as the Lord. And we're assured that no matter what, he will preserve and deliver his people. Let's pray. Lord, you reign in power and majesty, and we rejoice in you. Help us to continue to do so all of our days as we rest in your deliverance and walk with thanksgiving in your light. And we thank you that this is possible because of your son, Jesus. It's by his grace and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.